0: In this age of constant connection, the only true vault we have left is our mind. You can tell where a person has gone, what they buy, who they talk to, what they're looking up, what music they play while cleaning their house, what home improvement projects they did and who taught them how to do it. All this information is accessible. You can map out a person's insecurities in Google searches and their fantasies and Instagram follows. We have devices that listen to our every word and pay attention to our every click, making suggestions based on every single minuscule habit. You can even tell when a person uses the bathroom if their house is high-tech enough. But the one secret we have left to keep is what we're thinking. The secret little worries that lay in the bottom of our minds and creep in when we're about to go to sleep. They are ours to turn over and over like a worry stone. The snap judgments we make and know well enough not to say out loud. The imaginary conversations we create. The memories we hold captive and the pain that we hide. They are all ours too. Kept in the vault. A lock without a key. But. What happens when something is wrong, and it results in disaster, or worse yet? What do we do when someone goes missing without a word? You can add up the hows forever, but you'll never be able to guess the why. In other words, all the breadcrumbs in the world are useless when you have no idea what the dropper wants. The human mind is a powerful thing. It is a prison, a terrible thing to waste an excellent servant but a terrible master, a battlefield, a dangerous place, a den of scorpions, an enchanted thing, an ocean, and ultimately, an enigma. There is no way to tame it, or read it, or predict what it will do. And when someone we love disappears or is visited by mysterious disaster, the only thing we can look for is a witness. But then, The world is currently full of those. Every corner of our environment is a witness. Every screen and light and mirror and keypad. And so it stands to reason that no matter how obscure the wilderness they wandered, somebody somewhere saw something. And if we can't find a why, a who will have to do. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Leslie. Hey, Holly, Hey, Fiends. Oh boy, this case really got me. I have combed through every single available detail with the finest tooth comb available, and I am really no further along than when I started and only knew a little bit. Oh. Yeah, this is one of those things where you can know everything and still know nothing. Right. I don't know
1: anything about this case.
0: Oh, well, you're in for a ride. Missing persons cases are so tough, though, I think, because like the not knowing, like that was the monologue I did for the last missing persons case we did. And um, it's just like drives you nuts because there's anything could have happened. That person could still be alive. That little little nugget of hope is going to like drive you crazy. I know. And I'll tell you, before we really get into it, there are no answers today. Just an unbelievably mysterious event and the wake of sorrow and desperation it has caused. So today we are talking about the disappearance of 24-year-old geologist Daniel Robinson. Daniel went missing in the Arizona desert on June 23rd, 2021, so very recent. right? And if you're wondering why you haven't heard more about this case, well, you're not the only one. Daniel's family has fought long and hard for more exposure on this case, which was particularly frustrating when, just a few short months after he went missing, Gabby Petito, a pretty white girl, came along and grabbed the media's attention in a heartbeat. Now, as a young black man, it should come as no surprise that Daniel was completely overlooked by certain media outlets. There were initial reports, but like nothing like Gabby's case. Gabby's case just blew up and like social media would not stop until they found her. And that doesn't didn't really exist here. And if I were Daniel's family, I would have been absolutely furious, too. Like, you can't help but compare the two. Yeah. And this is because of something that um, media outlets have taken to calling missing white woman syndrome, which kind of gives victims who are white women a position of privilege. And it's true. That does happen. And this may have been sweeping the states, but Daniel's case was trying desperately to climb out from its shadow. And I'm going to be very real with you guys. We covered Gabby, obviously. And we fell into the frenzy that surrounded the case. We were interested, right? Like, mm-hmm. we followed every minute of it. But this case, Daniel's case, is like a thousand times more mysterious. And if you'll pardon my words, interesting. Mm. Like, I feel like we knew what happened to Gabby pretty much right away. We we're like, yeah, we think her boyfriend killed her and she's out in the, in the woods somewhere. right? But like this one, there's, there's little to no proof of anything. I've I've thought about this.
1: Okay. And I wonder if some of it has to, like, the reason why we can focus on a case like Gabby Petito's yeah. more is because we see a clear answer.
0: And Maybe. we're looking,
1: we see where there can be justice had. Something yeah. was weird. And we had this one person that was around, mm-hmm. which was Brian Laundrie, and... There was someone His to focus story our attention was, on. Was still unheard. We yeah. hadn't seen him, and we need to know what's going on. Like it, there was so much there that we were waiting to hear about. That's a good Whereas point. Whereas when there's when something weird happens, but there are no answers, yeah, you're just kind of let, Like you can only speculate for so long. Yeah. If, the, if no, if there are no other pieces of evidence, if nothing else is coming forward. Other than the same couple of pieces. Yeah. And it's just theories. But we had like a person, a living person. Yeah. Well. At the time for or what we whatever thought. we knew. <laughs> yeah. We no, had parents. Right. We had people seeing like something weird happened. Yeah. And that's the only reason why like it's and I'm glad Gabby Petito's family is, you know, working really hard to get other people's They cases are. And hurt. they're doing
0: wonderful mm-hmm. work. And I believe this is one of the cases yes. that Joe Petito mm-hmm. has mentioned. But I do
1: think that that was why that, ca- like, that I felt like held some ground as to why.
0: We felt like we could almost be proactive in it and be mm-hmm. like, we're going to help catch the guy. Yeah. Okay. No, that that makes sense. I do understand the missing white woman card, though. Yes. And they do get more attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, missing young black man does not get nearly the same amount of attention ever. Right. So I totally and, get yeah. that. Yeah.
1: And of course, it's, you know, I don't know this case yet. So yeah. I'm sure we'll go into it. But I do know with other cases, you know, the police might have not answered the call or gone too deep into the case right away. So certain evidence that may have been there wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Or other things, you know. So th-
0: Gabby so. was also like all over social media. So it was so easy for us to go into her personal life and mm-hmm. see firsthand what she was saying and try to decode her pictures and, you know, figure it right. out. We could follow, not we just. Gabby's and, and Brian too. Brian was online too. Mm-hmm. But like other
1: other YouTubers and it's well that other was people. the attention
0: that this lacked. Mm-hmm. Like why aren't there? There are a few, but there weren't mm-hmm. people on TikTok all over covering Daniel Robinson's case. Mm-hmm. There weren't people combing the Arizona desert looking for signs of him. And we'll get to this later. But like they found his car eventually, and it was four miles away. Right. So yeah. Like.
1: Right. We might have been able to find him again. I once we once I learned more about the story, it could have been.
0: I think that kind of media presence would have surely helped. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I totally understand what you're saying. It's almost like we have more of a plot line Mm -hmm. to follow, and your brain wants a story and it wants connection. So I do get that. But anyway, this that's just something that's very relevant because it's mentioned in connection to this case every time, which kind of sucks. Like, I know if it were me, I I wouldn't want my kid's missing case to always be held up to another one. Mm-hmm. But Especially because it's
1: different areas. Yeah.
0: slightly different. Yeah. But also, like, um, it makes sense. Anyway, yeah, I just felt it relevant to mention that. Yeah. That was yeah, a very interesting sure. point you made. With Daniel, we just kind of have to sit here and wonder. And let me tell you, wondering, not good for your skin. Oh. It's not. Mm-mm. I just wrinkled my brow all week staring at my computer in disbelief. It is so indented. I know. I just feel like I've aged myself 10 years. Yeah. Terrible. But fiends, you can help everyone this week by handing out a generous helping of your magical... Validation. Yeah. Not only will it smooth out my frown lines, but it can also go a long way for Daniel and his family. And after we tell his story, we'll let you know how you can help. But in the meantime, if you want to help us, you can head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only thing that can move this podcast forward. And if you want a little more We Would Be Dead in Your Life, you can support us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our weekly video after show, Host Mortem, all of the episodes of our patrons-only podcast, 30-minute horror movies, special extra mini You'll get opportunities to Zoom with us and other patrons, a special gift from us, an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And if all of that is a little much for you, you can simply share anything on any of our social media accounts. We are, aren't we? We would be dead podcast on Facebook, but would be dead well, pod on Instagram. Well you can find it all with would be dead pod. Yes. And we're would be dead pod on Instagram. And our Instagram features full photo suites accompanying each weekly case. So it's kind of like if we were a picture book, those are the illustrations every single week. So you're going to want to follow us over on Instagram. You can also post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell your Instacart guy. What's his name? Baxter. Baxter. What a jaunty name. Yeah. I like him. Well, then he's you're... nice. He, a nice guy. He's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Well, then your friends and Baxter can become fiends and we can all hang out. Together. Thanks, Bax. Huh.
1: You call him Bax because, like, yeah. you guys are pals. Yeah, we text a lot because, like, we're, they're always out of my stuff. Oh, jeez. So. <laughs> That's terrible. You just want some really exotic stuff. <laughs> yeah, all the time. He's just like, you didn't quite specify, but I just got you, like, the family size of everything, like, all the chips. And I'll be like, perfect. Thanks, Baxy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he always knows just he what knows. to do. Yeah. I like during the, during, like, lockdown when we would do, like, personal shoppers at Walmart or ShopRite oh, or something, yeah. they would always be like, you wanted grapes, but they were out of them. So instead, we got you seven turnips. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Why'd you do that? Wait, I have a fun story. Okay. Okay, I'll keep everyone anonymous. So, oh no. It's it, it's so funny. Okay, so my friend does the uh, the Walmart pickup okay. orders and she'll order, she or he will order. <laughs> 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 we'll order the lar- uh, a a large pack like okay. a like a huge pack of mm-hmm. Trojan condoms and wow <laughs> yeah and at the one time she brought them home and realized that the box was something was wrong with one like a box was opened so she was like oh, shit I have to. Take these back now. So she she obviously only orders that size because it's just somebody else handing it to her in the car, and she never has to be seen like with this huge. Oh hat.
0: my god! <laughs> Can but you now get she had to the be bucket in line of at, condoms?
1: At, at customer service. It's just like I, I have mean, to hand these in and exchange them. I feel like your friend should be very proud. I know. Well, they're really getting it. Yeah. Her husband's very happy about it. <laughs> I'm sure he is. But also because I think they're locked up. So that's the other reason. She's like, I'm not going to go in there and be like, can I have this huge bag of
0: condoms? Excuse Thank me. You. Can you give me the trash bag of condoms? <laughs> Thank you. We have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back next week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think uh, I think that's all I have for this week. Leslie, do you have any other anecdotes? Before we I do, we begin. I have one more thing. Oh,
1: good. Tell me. Guys. Leslie. Do you remember Marcel the Shell? Yes, with, with shoes, shoes on. on. Yeah. Um. Well, Marcel has a movie coming out this Get year. Out. Yeah, with A24.
0: Oh, no, it's scary then? No. Okay. I know. They, they <laughs> Marcel, do like, cannibalizes a family of other yeah. shells with shoes on?
1: I mean, Marcel they, might. <laughs> we don't know. I like, been...
0: I like to eat people. Marcel the Shell. I just like to eat people. I'm like. 75% sure that would be A24's scariest movie. <laughs> I like Little Bits of Dead Skin.
1: That would be Marcella Shell.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I collect toenails. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I don't know that A24 makes a lot of real cheerful films. So. They do. They make <laughs> they everything. Do? Oh, okay. Yeah. They they are
1: just a, um. they should be known more for their quality of films right. than their genre. Okay. The, or their genre is quality. I don't think that's the genre, but all right. It is now. Okay. Way to go. A24 should call me for their marketing. Yeah, they should. <laughs> that was perfect. You did it. All right. Well, that was my news. That was great news. So I think it's coming out in June.
0: <laughs> also, uh, merchandise-wise, we might make a toddler shirt, of dog shirts. Oh, yeah. Stay so stay if you see a that.
1: toddler shirt on there, it's a dog shirt.
0: <laughs> with With the logo on the back, weirdly? Yeah. That's for your dog. Actually, it's for my dog, but you guys could reap the benefits as well.
1: I had to make it in order to try it, so it's on there. I don't know. Mm
0: -hmm. It's for a toddler. It's for my toddler dog. Yeah. You guys love Zero. It's fine. All right then. On with the show. This week, I read a lot of news articles about this case, And I do use some of that information, but ultimately I went right to the horse's mouth for this one. So my main source is the 54-page police report released by the Buckeye Police Department. It is thorough, and we are going to comb through it almost point by point. Uh, Some of the accounts I will read directly. and I also read uh, Daniel's father, David's accounts and his website pretty extensively. And in doing this, I noticed that the media likes a certain angle when it comes to this case an angle that is only a small sliver of what seemed to be going on. And the hyperfixation on this one little element seems to cloud the rest of the story. It's like pulling on a knot when there are threads all over the place. But we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Let us begin at the beginning. Daniel Cornelius Robinson, which sounds like a scientist. Yes. So I'm not surprised, was born on January 14th, 1997. Oh, I am an elderly person. Ugh, I just, where's that validation? I know, that's painful. <laughs> I, whenever I hear of that or someone that like, was like, I was born in 2000 and I can drink. Yeah. No. I hate that. Well, Daniel was born to parents, Melissa Edmonds and David Robinson. He grew up in South Carolina a relatively comfortable middle-class type home. He had a nice situation going on, though he was born without his right hand. Okay. Yeah, it's just like a birth defect situation. But Daniel's parents said that it never held him back. David Robinson told Rolling Stone magazine, quote, anything that Daniel wants to do, he does it." Rolling Stone goes on to comment that, quote, although the boy was born without one forearm, he shunned prosthetics. So he could have had a prosthetic. He said, I don't want it. I don't need it. Mm. Bye. I'm fine. And uh, his father said, quote, some people look at him being born with one hand as a handicap, but Daniel taught me and his mother he was nowhere near handicapped. Instead, Daniel just threw himself into an array of interests from musical instruments to football to weightlifting. And when the time came to decide on a path in life, Daniel chose to study geology at the College of Charleston, which is not an easy pursuit. No. While there, Daniel joined a fraternity. Um, Like his Instagram shows he followed a lot of other fraternities too, like other colleges fraternities. So I think he was pretty active within it Mm. or maybe with outreach too. Who knows? The only thing you can find on his Instagram are the other people he followed, so that's what I'm going from. Um, He made a lot of friends while he was at college. He managed to graduate with honors, and Daniel's mother said that he just wanted to make a difference. Quote, with all the global warming and changes in the climate, he just wanted to be a part of something great. So he was in the geology business for altruistic reasons. He wanted to help. Okay, Just the kind of kid that he was. Yeah. Daniel's father called him a brilliant scientific mind. He's so cute, too. He is cute. Did I you look at pictures? At picture. yeah. yeah. He's a handsome dude. Basically, Daniel was a good kid with a bright future. He was a hot nerd. He was a hot nerd, which <laughs> is the best of all worlds. Yeah. Like, you win if that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Way to go, hot nerds. We love you. We see you. We see, we see you all the time. <laughs> his Instagram photos, the ones that we've seen surface, show him smiling with his friends. Um, at <laughs> Oh, no. So I have a really funny typo, and I'm just going to keep it for a second. My sentence says, Instagram photos show him smiling with his friends at pirates and school functions. Ooh. <laughs> it's parties. Oh, okay. <laughs> Man, he wasn't a frat. Yeah, yeah, so he could have been a pirate at some point in time. Yeah, like, I don't know. But they show him at parties and, like, school functions. And the fo- school functions he's at are, like, outdoor things where he's in, like, a nice collared shirt and dress pants with his equally well-dressed friends hanging out. Okay. Like, he looks like a good kid.
1: Yeah.
0: Or he's um, out exploring beautiful scenery on hikes, like in the mountains or like, you know, with some really interesting rock formation behind him. Because he really liked adventures. Right. And his friends called him WAP with an O, not an A. We're not not in there. I don't know why, but they did. Okay. He also loved basketball and beers with his friends. Mm -hmm. Also typical fun things. He was a big fan of the Suns, so he would always watch Suns games and bars with his friends. Makes sense totally. And he was very ambitious. Shortly after graduation, Daniel was able to like almost immediately get a job in his field, which is also a feat. Takes a lot of people time and like interning to find that kind of thing. But he got it pretty much right away. He moved to the Phoenix area right after he graduated in May of 2019. And then in June of 2019, landed a job as a hydrogeologist With a company called Matrix New World Engineering in Buckeye, Arizona. What is a hydrogeologist? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) You were asking with your eyes. Yeah. A hydrogeologist is a person who, quote, studies the way that groundwater moves through the soil and rock of the earth. So, the way, like, yeah. So, the way, like, a a river might cut out a trench in, Mm -hmm. like, rock formations, that's kind of what they're studying. And Daniel was hired specifically to be a field hydrogeologist, which means he was out dealing with the actual stuff rather than in an office comparing, like, data or something. In this instance, um, Matrix, what is it called? Matrix New World Engineering was um, a well drilling company. So he was studying prospective well sites. So he would have been out in the middle of the desert looking for, like, groundwater and stuff. I gotcha. It's remote, basically. That sounds like a fun job. He liked it. He liked what he was doing. Like, he never complained about his job, and he was stoked to have it. So Uh, by June of 2021, Daniel had his own apartment in Tempe, Arizona. He had a 2017 Jeep Renegade. It's like a blue-gray kind of color. I'd never seen a car that color. Mm. It's cute. He was paying his bills. He had a Samsung Galaxy cell phone through T-Mobile. All right. And it was in his name. He did his own banking. Um, He even took up interest in online gaming. So he's living a very independent life right out of college. But life is expensive. And the only family Daniel had in the Arizona area was his sister, Davisha, who he was close to, but he didn't like lean on her financially or anything. When he first moved to Arizona and he was in Phoenix, they were really close to each other because she was there too. But like pretty quickly, he moved further away. So, um, and this is kind of how he was with all of his family. He talked to them every day, several times a day. He would talk to his dad in the morning. And then when he got off work, he talked to his family nonstop all of the time. But he was an independent person. He also told them like when he was going out of town or went on a remote hike, he was checking in, doing all the stuff. Um, And he loves hiking and adventures. So he would do that often. Mm. I think that has to come with the territory of like being a geologist. I would think so. You got to yeah. love a hike. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like climbing a rock or something. Yes.
1: Yeah, you don't take that job because you like to Netflix and chill. Because I'm an
0: indoor kid. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> Sometimes, because like I said, life is expensive, and this is a guy living on his own, he supplemented his income by delivering for a company called Instacart. For those of us who went through the whole pandemic without usali- utilizing its services, like me, I've never used Instacart. I never
1: used it either.
0: Okay, so that's not weird.
1: No, I well, I don't think. Yeah, it's. I mean, we also live in a strange area. It was we so do. expensive for us. It to was do very it.
0: expensive. Do you remember the one time we tried to? Um, <laughs> what service did we use? Yeah. Oh well, we can't. We shouldn't say. What? It was, it was
1: it was one, one, of, the meal. Yeah, it was one of the one day they'll sponsor
0: us. Yeah. We used one of the meal ordering services. So it was like bleep, John, bleep that out with a very interesting sound. Yeah. I can't wait to see what <laughs> you pick. Um and we like ordered sushi and we got all the way through to the end and it was like five thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. We each ordered just one roll of sushi each and it was gonna be like sixty or seventy dollars. It, it was like
0: $60. And we ended up
1: and 70% of it was paying it too. We were like, I can't
0: fucking handle it.
1: Oh my God. I always forget that we paid it. <laughs> yep.
0: We had to watch that movie about Jesus vampires. We that just was... oh, we deserved it. We did deserve it. Yeah. So if you're a patron, you can go listen to our um 30-minute horror movies on what was even the name of the Je- movie? Jesus Vampire. I don't know something. It's about Jesus and vampires. You'll know it when you see it, and know that we were eating sixty dollars sushi at the time. Yeah, huh. <laughs> so anyway, for those of you who may not know, Instacart is an American company that operates a grocery delivery and pickup service in the United States and Canada. The company offers its services via a website and mobile app. The service allows customers to order groceries from participating retailers, with the shopping being done by a personal shopper. And in the states where you can buy alcohol at a grocery store. You can also get them to deliver alcohol. Yeah. Not in New Jersey. Mm. They don't have alcohol at grocery stores. I wonder if we could still get it via Instacart. We have alcohol grocery stores. Not in the grocery store. It's like if you're in ShopRite and you're at that little spot that's a liquor store, it's a liquor store. Just in like a kiosk in there. True, true. You can't go to Wawa and buy wine. You can in some states. Right, yeah, yeah. We don't have that. I guess. Yeah, you're right. Jersey's afraid of all the drugs. (laughs) (laughs) So on June 12th, 2021, Daniel was delivering for Instacart when he got an order for some groceries and alcohol from a woman named Caitlin. Daniel picked up her items, drove to her home, and knocked on the door. And when Caitlin answered, it turned out she was a beautiful young woman just Daniel's age. Oh. Delightful. What a meet cute. and. She had been drinking at home with a girlfriend. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they came to the door. They were already tipsy. And Daniel was kind and, as we mentioned, good-looking, hot nerd. hmm And so they invited him in. Daniel spent the evening with the two ladies drinking and having a good time. I hope they shared some food with him. He was there for a while. <laughs> He's he drove- such a mom. <laughs> <laughs> he drove home a little after 2 a.m. So he the, okay. they had a night. Okay. Caitlin texted him roughly 25 minutes later with a link to a podcast on spirituality and, like, the power of positive thinking. Oh, boy. I know. <laughs> and Daniel had a crush. Oh, Cute, right? Yeah, it is cute. But there may be some people who are raising their eyebrows a little bit at the thought of inviting in your Instacart shopper. I mean, when you're single, you do weird I, things. I, again, <laughs> this is the this is the sticking point in this case. I'm going to get into Caitlin more in a little bit. But people really focus on their relationship. Okay. And it does take a sort of weird turn mm, later. Okay. But at this point, at this juncture, just the first meeting, when yeah. they invited him in, had a nice time, and then he left, that doesn't strike me as super weird. No. If I was single and 24 and a really good-looking guy came to my door. And I had my friend there. And we had been drinking. Yeah. And this, like, cute guy came to my door. I'd be like, yes, come in, please. Right. And, okay, so I do know with
1: these services, he would have to accept any other jobs after that. Right. So he could just decide, like, I'm done for the night. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like it's, like, the pizza delivery guy who has to go back to work. Right. So, no, that's not weird at all.
0: But sometimes Instacart experiences apparently do get a little weird. Mm -hmm. Do you have any of those examples for us before we get into the nitty gritty? I do. Oh, please tell us. I'm very excited. Okay.
1: Well, this is, I'll go with the worst one first because. (laughs) Oh, no. Because this is the complete opposite side. (laughs) Oh, no. All right. So, in March of 2020 in Maplewood, Missouri, a man who delivered groceries to a woman was arrested after he broke into her home in the middle of the night and said he wanted to have sex. Oh, no. So, the police say Thomas, uh, the man Thomas, delivered groceries to a home of a 29 year old woman in the, like around 4 Mm p.m. He returned at around 7 p.m. with an item. He said that he had forgotten to deliver. In court documents, they say that around 1 30 a.m. he crawled through her bathroom (gasps) window. She had fallen asleep on the couch and screamed when he used like a vulgar phrase with her name in it to wake her up and demand sex. Oh no. Thomas then fled the scene and the woman was not injured in the incident. Um, he was charged with one count of first-degree burglary.
0: Wait, this guy just broke into her house and was like, give me some sex! And she was like, no! And he was like, gotta go! Yeah. It was wow. Yeah.
1: Uh, I tried to find more on his case. I couldn't find much more after that's that. That's awful. Yeah. Okay, this next one is a little long, but it's very interesting. All right, I'm, I'm here for it. didn't hear this at all. So, I'm just going to read the report okay. as it is. An Instacart shopper who entered an Atlanta supermarket bathroom told police he saw an AR-15 style rifle (gasps) and heard uh, what he believed was the sound of someone loading guns in a bathroom stall. Oh my God. So in this one, the Instacart shopper is going to be our hero. Okay. The witness rushed out of the bathroom and notified staff at the Publix supermarket when Police arrived soon after. They arrested a suspect as he was exiting the bathroom with six loaded guns in his possession. Oh, my
0: God.
1: The suspect, identified as 22-year-old Rico Marley, now faces a slew of charges related to the incident, which came just days. So, again, sorry. This is March uh, 2021. Okay. So, this came... Uh, just days after 10 people were killed in a mass shooting at a (gasps) supermarket in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, my God. Yep. Wow. It was that tragedy that was fresh in the mind of the Instacart shopper, uh, Charles Russell. So Charles says, I saw an AR-15 and I was like, you know, this kind of startled me again with the events that recently happened in the grocery store up in Colorado. Authorities have not said what they believed Marley intended to do with the weapons. Um, And again, like I've tried to find articles after this and I can't, I could only find the ones that were like just like within the first couple of days. I couldn't find like what happened after. Wow. Okay. So according to the police incident report, Russell was entering the men's restroom when he heard clicking sounds from the bathroom stall. It sounded to him like someone was loading firearms. He also told me that he saw an AR-15 style rifle leaned against the wall. By the time the officer arrived at the Atlantic Atlantic Station, a commercial and residential complex in Atlanta, just north of downtown, the supermarket appeared to have been evacuated. Uh, The officer wrote that he, that that's like when he put on his helmet, Um, he took his city issued rifle into the store where he immediately saw the suspect coming around the corner from the restroom just feet away. The officer ordered the suspect to put his hands up and not move. And then he did just that. The accused appeared to be surprised when he saw us that close to him. Then they detained him. And yes, then so they found so after arresting him, police recovered six firearms, a DPMS AR-15 style rifle, a 12 gauge Maverick arms, uh, Model 88 shotgun three semi automatic nine millimeter pistols and a thirty eight caliber revolver. All the weapons were loaded, and the rifle shotgun, and three nine millimeter pistols all had a round in the chamber. When Charles went into the bathroom, he said like he was wearing I think he said like a white shirt and blue pants or something, right. but when the guy had come out of the bathroom, and the police got him. He was like fully—he was like wearing body armor. Of course, and they he arrested eyes. him. Of mm-hmm. course,
0: because he was going to go fucking yeah. shoot up that store.
1: Um, and he had four handguns in his clothing, while the rifle and shotgun were being carried inside the bag.
0: There's just no—there would be no other reason for you to like Kevlar up and pack six automatic weapons in a grocery store.
1: Yeah, it's so wild. So, so yeah. So they were—um—nobody was hurt. Luckily, they got it all taken care of. And um, I assume Instacart. he's just in jail now. Uh, <laughs> one can hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yikes, so, that was wild. But the if it wasn't for the Instacart shopper to have like,
0: yeah, quick thinking. Yeah,
1: he was just like, "Let me go say," and they got everybody out before this guy could come out of the bathroom.
0: Oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah, way to go, Instacart guy. I, know. I was like, I
1: can't believe we didn't hear this story. That's I can't like, either. So, that's like that's a, a win. It is a win. In March of 2021, like, we needed a win. We
0: really did need <laughs> a win.
1: Huh. That is weird. Yeah. So
0: those are my Instagram horror stories. But here's the thing. That is so uh, relevant also because when you go on to see how their relationship pans out and how Caitlyn reacts. Okay. I think she probably had some of those horror story situations in her mind. I know that, like, I have that fear of Uber drivers. I'm sorry if you're an Uber driver. I'm sure you're great. We love you, Fernando. But, like, (laughs) we don't know them. I I feel the same way about Airbnb. Airbnb Airbnb. is the best Mm -hmm. excuse ever for a fucking serial killer. If you were a serial killer, Airbnb is your ticket to, like, easy life. People just come into your house and stay there. I know. I just... I even When they're think sleeping about, at night, you
1: have a key. I know. I think about like cameras. I think about, I don't know. Yes. It's terror. It does. It scares me. Although like I look, I, I stay in them all the time. I've never stayed in one. They scare me. But I will eventually, do. I'm sure. Yeah. But they
0: frighten me. Oh no, I have stayed in one once for my cousin's bachelorette party. Mm-hmm. But I was like kind of on my toes about it the whole time. Yeah. And I feel the same way about like Ubers. We don't know who is driving an Uber. They don't have like a livery license. They didn't have to be vetted in any way. They're just someone who was like, I want to drive. And Uber was like, good. (laughs) Like, Yeah. So, and there are instances where Uber drivers like locked the doors and sheared off the locks and like raped people. Yeah. It's scary. So yeah, keep it, bear in mind that we are talking about people who are performing a service for us, but that we don't know and that haven't had to go through any kind of, you know, check to perform these services, and she invited this man into her home. So I'm sure she's feeling a little, like, (laughs) afterwards. Anyway, so after Daniel had this night with Caitlin and her buddy, um, in some reports he tells his friends that he hooked up with one of the girls. I kind of don't doubt that. You were there until 2 a.m.? Yeah. But she never says anything. Okay. She also might not want to say anything, and that is her prerogative. Did I find out who Caitlin was? Yes, I did. But I do not need to broadcast her name. There's okay. no need. She has deleted most of her social media, including like her Pinterest stuff. But not Pinterest. Um, Poshmark stuff. Because she was probably being hounded. Right. And really, she plays no part in the rest of this. Okay. So anyway. But then Daniel goes on to tell his friends and his family that he like met this girl he was in love with. Mm. He's like, I am in love with this girl. She is the best. We are. And then... The way his family talks about how he spoke about her, it seems like they were dating. Mm. But after that night, according to Caitlin, she didn't really return his affection, which happens. Yeah. Daniel was pretty sad about the whole relationship not really going anywhere, and he kind of kept crying, but that's why they call them crushes, isn't it? They crush you. Yeah. Then on June 23rd, something strange happened. Daniel did not call his father, and as I mentioned earlier, This is a guy that calls his dad multiple times a day. And his father knew that David was at a well drilling site in Buckeye. And this was all very strange. So at about 4.45 p.m. Arizona time, he called the damn cops. And officers responded immediately. And we had... Responding officers S. Cruz, C. Thatcher, T. Cook, and responsible officer was S. Cruz. Oh. I thought that was funny. What's responsible officer? I guess so he's like the one in charge. But just what a funny way to put it, right? I know. <laughs> You're the only responsible one. The rest of them are wild. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. Very unreliable. <laughs> I know. Exactly. So um, he was reported missing at 4.45 p.m. by his father. And it was reported that whatever happened to him occurred probably between 9.45 and 10.35 that morning. So then I have... The initial information from Officer Cruz, C-R-E-W-S-E. That's why I'm pronouncing it that way. He says he talked to Daniel's father, David, Daniel's sister, Davisha. Daniel's other sister lives in California. Her name is Leticia. He talked to Daniel's employer, Matrix New World. Daniel's other employer, Instacart. Daniel's co-worker, uh, Kenneth. Daniel's coworker. oh, there's another co-worker. His name is later on in the report. He's like his boss. I think it's Steve. Daniel's friend, Luke, and his acquaintance, Caitlin. So they eventually, the police talked to all of these people. Sorry, this narrative is one of the other responding officers, not the responsible officer. He was doing other things. So this is the one that wrote it down. At approximately 0, 0600 hours upon logging into the Buckeye PD record system at the start of my shift, I observed an alert message on my mobile Officer Cruz messaged me and advised that a subject named Daniel Cornelius is listed as a missing person. The message provided said that Daniel was last seen driving a light blue 2017 Jeep Renegade bearing Arizona license plates, and the message included the Buckeye Police Department report number. After observing the said information, I reviewed the said report, including the call notes. The case officer for the incident was Buckeye Police Officer Cruz. From reviewing this information, I became aware that Buckeye police received the call for service on 623 at approximately 1904 hours by Daniel's father identified as David. David had reported to dispatch that he has not heard from Daniel since 622. So the night before was the last time he talked to Daniel and that Daniel was supposed to be at his job at the time that David was making this report. So this is, David's police report. He reported Daniel's employer as Matrix Groundwater and that Daniel's job site was located at an unknown spot in Buckeye, west of the White Tank Mountains. David reported Daniel has no known medical issues but has been, quote, acting strange. No details were provided into what strange meant. Hmm. So at this point, we just know he was off. David reported Daniel drives a light blue Jeep, Renegade 2017. Upon review of that said information, I was aware that upon conclusion of Officer Cruz's investigation, Daniel was not able to be located. Daniel was then entered entered into the system as missing. So pretty quickly, he becomes a missing person. Realize, again, you don't need 24 hours. This is just like two hours. Okay. Okay. Additionally, I became aware that Daniel was last seen by his coworker, identified as Kenneth. You don't, you don't need the rest of his name, driving away from Daniel's job site. Officer Cruz documented in his report that he spoke to Kenneth and obtained the location of the job site. So, Officer Cruz first spoke to Daniel's supervisor, who then said the last person to see him was Ken. Then they go and talk to Ken back to the quotes, the job site was located about one mile west of North Sun Valley Parkway and about 2,000 feet north of West Cactus Road, which means nothing to non-Arizona people, but it is out in the middle of nowhere. Furthermore, upon review of Officer Cruz's report, I became aware that Kenneth reported access to the job site was via a dirt road, which starts on the west side of North Sun Valley Parkway. From there, there is another dirt road, which continues west for about a mile and then splits up into another dirt road that goes north and another dirt road that goes west. Hmm. So this is way off the beaten path. We are not on a highway. Okay. Kenneth advised at the split in the dirt road, you go north for about 2,000 feet and you will be at the site. Upon review of Officer Cruz's report, I became aware that Kenneth believed Daniel was acting odd at the job site and that he last saw Daniel drive away from the job site going south. Additionally, Kenneth reported that he was not sure if Daniel made it to the split in the roadway on the dirt trail. Kenneth advised after some time, he began looking around the area at the split in the roadway. Kenneth found what looks like fresh tire tracks, which he went west at the split in the roadway. Officer Cruz documented in his report that numerous attempts to contact Daniel were made, but they didn't receive any contact. So, Ken's the last guy to see him. After he's missing for a while, Ken goes and looks for him. Furthermore, he documented that he and Buckeye Police Officer Thatcher searched the area for Daniel, but did not locate Daniel or his Jeep. See Officer Cruz's report for further information. So, the missing part is that Officer Cruz gets the call from daniel's father and then goes okay i'm gonna try and find him calls work work hasn't seen him works this talk to ken ken says he came to work at normal time and he was very strange and then he asked me a couple really weird questions and then just got in his car an hour later and drove away do we know what the questions are we are gonna get there yeah okay They're, like, really out of left field, nothing. And Ken also makes other observations in a second, but just so we all are on the same point. Okay. That's what Ken says. And, like, his job lasted more than an hour. He just left after an hour. Right, right. After I attempted, this is the same officer, contact with Daniel by phone, I called David. David answered, and he talked about the situation. I informed David of who I was and that I was continuing to investigate the situation regarding Daniel going missing. David was asked if he has heard from Daniel or if he knew of any of Daniel's whereabouts. And David advised that he had not heard from Daniel and did not know where he was. I asked David if he knew any locations where Daniel might go. David said he didn't know of any places he might be. Again, David is in South Carolina. He doesn't know where his kid goes. Right. His adult kid. I asked David if Daniel had any family or friends in Arizona. David advised... He lives in South Carolina, like I just said, and that Daniel's mother lives there too. He said that Daniel's sister lives in California, but he didn't know her specific address in California, which I thought was a little weird, but whatever. Maybe it's not like his blood daughter. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Dave. Or maybe they're estranged. Who knows? David said Daniel lives alone, and Daniel's other sister, identified as Davisha, was the only family member who lives in Arizona. David said he has since been in contact with Davisha as well as the rest of their family, but no one has heard from Daniel or knew anything about Daniel's whereabouts. So no one has heard from him since the day before. David provided me with Davisha's contact information as I was not aware of it at the time. I asked David if he was aware of Daniel having any medical or mental health issues. David said he was not aware of Daniel having any medical or mental health issues. David stated that Daniel had been acting odd lately. I asked David if he could explain what he meant by this. David stated that within the last few weeks, Daniel told him he had met a woman and that he was in love with her. David said Daniel didn't appear to know anything about the woman and that he thought it was odd that he was in love with her. David did not provide any other examples of why he believed Daniel was acting odd. So I asked if David I asked David if he had ever observed Daniel doing or saying anything that would suggest that Daniel wanted to hurt himself or kill himself. David advised that he had not observed anything like that. And then I asked David if he had heard any information from anyone else about Daniel feeling that way, and he said no. David said he had not heard anything like that from anyone else. Ultimately, David reported no information that suggested Daniel was suicidal or that he wanted to hurt himself. So he's been weird, but not the kind of weird wherein we would suspect he was going to hurt himself.
1: Right. Okay.
0: I asked David if Daniel used any drugs such as marijuana, cocaine, methamphetamine, etc. David said he was only aware of Daniel using marijuana. It's a 24-year-old dude, whatever. Yeah. I asked David if Daniel had any social media accounts and if he did, has David checked them to see if Daniel has posted any photos or information on the accounts since he went missing? David told me that Daniel does have an Instagram account and a Facebook account. David checked them while he was on the phone with me and advised that he did not see any new information on the accounts. But he said that all of the photos on Daniel's Instagram account appear to have removed been removed since he went missing. Oh, interesting. So his Instagram is totally wiped clean. And it's still out there looking like this today. It's just his name, his profile picture, and then it says no new posts. And it's just nothing. Hmm. Which is not how it always looked, obviously. Right. And um it's that's a statement to me. Yeah, that's that's if, weird. If you don't want your stuff out there, you delete mm-hmm. your Instagram account. You don't just delete every single picture and leave your account there. That's that's more effort.
1: Yeah. So Yeah, it's like he, I mean it's like that I was on purpose.
0: I would assume. Yeah, he would have had to go through each post and delete it. Exactly. Right? Every picture would have to be deleted individually. And if you have hundreds and hundreds of pictures, yeah. that takes time. The only thing you can still see is the people who follow him, the people he followed, and the hashtags he followed. Okay, Which are all, like, dank memes. And, like, mm-hmm. um, there are some weird ones. I'll get into them in a minute. But, like, he doesn't follow anyone named Caitlyn. Mm-hmm. Though I assume she deleted her social media, so maybe. But anyway... That to me is like a big giant red flag for a 24-year-old guy who was previously very active on social media. Yeah. Um, and prior to going missing, all his pictures were still there. David provided me with Daniel's account names for Facebook and for Instagram. He also described the image slash photo used by Daniel for each account. And then they described them. They're just Daniel standing out in front of lovely rock formations. Then we have the, inter- the interviews with Ken. Kenneth, they call him. But news articles call him Ken. Oh, casual. So... When they got to the job site, um, Kenneth said at times that he noticed Daniel appeared to stare off into the distance or would just be staring at nothing in particular. Kenneth said Daniel would talk to him at times, but it was regarding topics that were not related to the work they were there to do. Kenneth said this was odd to him. According to Kenneth, he recalls Daniel asking him, Do you want to go home? Do you want to go back to Phoenix? Kenneth said at that time it appeared it was going to rain. Kenneth said he told Daniel that he would check the weather application on his cell phone. Kenneth stated um, that he began to look at the weather app on his phone and at about 9.45, and he saw Daniel wave to him as if he was waving goodbye. Kenneth said Daniel didn't say anything, but walked over to his Jeep and drove away from the area. Kenneth said Daniel was last seen driving south on the dirt road from the job site. Kenneth explained that if Daniel continued south down the dirt road, he would come to a spot where the road splits to the west and to the east. He said after Daniel didn't come back to the area, he went looking for Daniel. Kenneth said at the split in the roadway, he saw some fresh tire tracks that went west. Kenneth said it had rained while they were out there, so he believed the rain washed away all the tire tracks, and the new tire tracks were from Daniel's vehicle. Kenneth said at one point he went to a part of high ground to scan the area for Daniel, but ultimately could not find him. Kenneth told me at some point after Daniel left the job site, Kenneth contacted his boss, Steve, I was right, his name is Steve, telling him what was going on. Kenneth later stated he received um, word from Steve and other employees that Daniel did not contact anyone in the company since he left the job site and that no one knew where he was at, which again is very weird because it's an hour into his work day and he just left and didn't say anything to anyone and drove off onto a dirt road into the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Kenneth ultimately reported no behavior or statements from Daniel that suggested he was hallucinating, that he was incoherent, or was having some kind of mental health issue, though I feel like that could be argued. Anyway, additionally, Kenneth advised that Daniel did not make any direct or indirect suicidal statements or actions. Fine. Before ending my contact with Kenneth, I informed him he needs to report to police any information he obtains regarding Daniel's whereabouts or if Daniel contacts him, and Kenneth agrees. So Ken spoke to the media on um, a few more occasions and he elaborates on Daniel's confusion saying he was like very distant and just like staring into the distance the whole time and said, quote, whenever he'd turn around again, I would look at him and look into his eyes and the first thing I thought was maybe it was drugs or something, but his pupils were not dilated. From that standpoint, everything appeared to be normal. Then I thought this was a medical condition or something. I wasn't too sure. I just kept watching him but he just kept turning around and looking off into the desert. Then he just turned around and walked back over to his Jeep, and I assumed he was going to get something out of his car. And he opened the door, got in, sat down, put on his seatbelt, and then looked at me and just waved at me and backed up and took off. It's so
1: weird then that he tells, but then he tells the police officer that, like, he didn't think anything was
0: like he wrong. Said, yeah, yeah. And he was
1: like, he was acting really weird, but I, I don't think anything was mentally wrong with him.
0: Again, I think that's weird too. Why would you why would you not think that? It seems to me like something is happening yeah. to this poor guy. He also Kenneth also reports that Daniel um had his shoes untied. Yeah. Like both of his shoes were untied and that he was like wearing his safety vest when he drove away. Hmm. But
1: then Kenneth went after him, right? After a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. he clearly
0: thought something was yeah. up. Yeah. He thought it was weird, obviously. I don't know why he made remarks. I, unless he was only referring to, I don't think he was going to kill himself.
1: Oh, right. Which is
0: possible. He could have just phrased it wrong. And he didn't indicate that he was going to kill or himself. Or maybe he was just, just in general.
1: Like, yeah. I don't I don't think he has any mental health problems. It could be. Problems. But
0: to me, like, this is so strange. That yeah. behavior is really strange. Especially to someone who has, like, a perfect job record. He was known to, like, be... Um, like, punctual and hardworking and reliable. Right. He, he didn't do weird shit like this. Yeah. So after these observations were made, officers continued to search the desert and in and around the work site in Buckeye and off Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road. There's, like, a lot of stuff out there. There's old mines, there's well-drilling sites, lots of open desert, and there's even rattlesnakes. Holly. In fact... This is relevant. The rattlesnakes are so dangerous in some parts of the desert that when the search parties are going out, like, they have to stop them in certain seasons because the rattlesnakes are too dangerous. So anything's possible. Just so we're clear, systematic manifestations of rattlesnake envenomation can include... It is mentioned! (laughs) Holly, do we need to know this? Yes. (laughs) Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, diaphoresis, anxiety, confusion. Anxiety and confusion. Spontaneous bleeding. Fever, chest pain, difficulty breathing, paresthesius, hypotension, and shock. Some patients with rattlesnake bites experience a rubbery, minty, or metallic taste in their mouth. I'm not okay. Okay, but here's the thing. Here is why I needed to mention it. Because it can make you confused. Just saying. Down in the desert, people have speculated. But
1: this would have had to have then happened before he got to work.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't think this is what happened, but people just talk about it. So I had to mention it for you. I'm so nauseous. I'm going to pass out. (laughs) You're going to be all right. You got this, right? (laughs) I do. Other officers continued to interview more of his friends and family. And their interest was piqued by this mention of him behaving weird. So like, we got to maybe explore that a little more. And the bulk of the interviews were done by an officer, Haley. And here is what they discovered. Officer Haley talks to David. He says he doesn't know any places where Daniel would have gone. He said he and Daniel's mother are in South Carolina, as I mentioned before, that he has a sister in California, that David lived alone. All stuff we've already covered, right? That he doesn't have any medical conditions or health issues. Just kind of review stuff. Then Officer Haley calls the sister, Davisha, who says that Daniel lived in Tempe and she lived in Phoenix. Daniel had moved from Phoenix to Tempe over one year ago. She recalls, though, like, he's like, so was he behaving weird? And she goes, you know what? There was a day recently in the past, like, month or so where he came to her apartment to visit her, came in, sat down, and then just didn't speak or acknowledge her for 30 minutes. Ooh, that's and uncomfortable. she was talking to him and he wasn't responding. He was just dead eye into the distance. Nothing. Lights are on, but nobody's home for a half an hour. That is alarming. Yeah. And then after that, he just got up and left. He didn't even talk to her. He didn't acknowledge that the situation had occurred. He just walked out of her apartment and left. And they never talked about it? Nope. They never talked about it again. I would have been like, what the fuck was wrong with you? Why did you do that in my house? I didn't sleep for a week. I know. I would have been yelling at my brother. But you know what? I'm not judging her. I don't know what their relationship was. Maybe he'd like pranked her before and stuff. Who knows? But she was just like, that was weird. He did a weird thing. She also mentioned that um, Daniel had been talking to a woman that he recently met and fell in love with. So again, this is, he's using language like they fell in love. Okay. And she also said that the podcast this woman shared with him changed the way Daniel saw life. The podcast told him to view things with positive energy and avoid negative energy. And David made it sound like he was in a relationship with this woman and like he was subscribing to all of these beliefs. The woman lived in Levine, Arizona. And Davisha said, again, David had no suicidal thoughts that she knew of and that he only drank and smoked pot. She said that his disappearance was unlike him, but he has, like gone away before, the only thing that came close to it was in May of 2021, Daniel had driven out to California to see his sister without telling anyone beforehand he was going to do it. However, he called Davisha on his way there. So it's not like he went away and didn't tell anyone and never came back. He just didn't tell them he had planned this trip. Okay, And that is like the closest to this he had come before. Okay. That's also recent though. Right. But she said this was, like, very next level and, and off for him. Then Officer Haley spoke to one of Daniel's bosses. This one's name is Kevin. He said, he calls, calls him the next day, and this boss is like, well, he didn't come to work today. We know Kevin. We got, we got all that. Then he talks to Ken. I read all of Ken's stuff. And then he talks to Caitlin. And this is where it gets interesting. Caitlin says, The last time she heard from Daniel was in a text on June 22nd. She says she met him on June 12th, like we said, and that they were not in a relationship. She says that Daniel delivered food to her house. She doesn't mention the alcohol, but Instacart does. Okay. She and her friend were drunk and invited him in. They weren't scared, they said, because he, quote, only had one arm and was short. All right. Oh. She knows, she also says she knows she shouldn't have invited a stranger into her home. But she did. After the night, they exchanged phone numbers. She sent him a podcast to listen to. See, people suggest podcasts all the time. Yeah. Maybe you guys should do it. It works.
1: Suggest this to your Insta. So you're Instacart
0: guy, Baxter. <laughs> we love you, Axie. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Then um, David told her that he, or, or no, she noticed that Daniel. Sorry, not David. I confused those two names. Apologies. Had um, a canopy in his car that he left at her house. I'm not sure why he took this canopy out of her car, his car. I mean, at her house. You're the Instacart guy. Why did you take the canopy out of your car? But what I again, we do not know I what mean, happened. He was there for a while. Yeah, you don't know what they discussed. I don't. That's he might very have set true. up the canopy. Maybe they were sitting under it outside. Yeah, that's maybe delightful. That's where they hooked up. Maybe that is romantic. Yeah. But anyway, a few days later, Daniel texts Caitlin to ask if he can come and get his canopy. She texts back that yes, he can anytime. Daniel replies that he could come right away and asks for directions to her house, which I thought was a little weird. Cause I'm like, weren't you just at her house? Yeah. I mean, I would need directions, but I have an issue that prevents me from absorbing directions.
1: He's I fine. Mean,
0: maybe he does too, though. Uh, maybe. You never know. That's true.
1: He got, I mean, he followed, like, so the app would tell you where you know how the Uber yeah. is like that. Yeah, yeah. So he might not be able to re... Like
0: maybe not. And she said, he, and she didn't answer him either. She didn't give him directions and she didn't answer, just like ghosted him because she went out of town. Okay. Just kind of... A,
1: maybe he was just trying to be nice and not weird. Like, I,
0: yeah, I don't remember where you live. For sure. Then while she was away, wherever she was, I think she said she was in Flagstaff, she saw Daniel on her security camera at her door. And at this point, she freaks the fuck out and says that he should have asked permission to come over and that she never gave him directions, so he must have used the Instacart order or something else and, like, found her. And she gets really, really scared. And, like, this is the point in the story that is, like, everybody talks about, that he showed up at her house. He does it again, but we'll get there in a minute. But at this point, to me, again, it still seems like she said, come anytime to get your thing, and then he went to her house to get her his thing. Yeah, right. Does she message him about this? I'm gonna read their whole text exchange in a okay. second. I'm just giving you the rundown okay. because the I texts, just didn't
1: know if if she was if this is just she does go on to message later. him. Yes, okay.
0: but their text exchanges are a little vague, so I'm just mm-hmm. gonna go through the story. Plus, he doesn't make a lot of sense in the later on ones. Okay. So then she texts Daniel and says, "I saw you on my security camera. Come back when I'm in town." And then he like texts her heart emojis and says, "I love you." That's when it takes a turn for me. The next day, he texts texts that he's like outside her house. After this, she tells him that this is not okay. He should leave her alone. And she never meant to lead him on. And then that's the last of it. So then Caitlin, after having this conversation with the police, sends them over their text chain. And this is their exact text chain. Okay. Sunday, July 13th, 2.29 a.m. Caitlin, a link to a podcast on Apple Podcasts. It wasn't ours, but I mean, you could do that with ours. Yeah. Just saying. Sunday, July 13th, 2.29 a.m. Daniel, hey. Oh, sorry, it's not July, it's June. Monday, June 14th, 7.19 p.m. Daniel, hey, I accidentally left my canopy outside your house. Is it still there? If so, is it okay if I pick it up? So it's outside her house too. It's not even in her house. Okay. Daniel, again. Also, the podcast was great. Tuesday, June 15th, thirty seven p.m. Caitlin, yes, you can pick it up whenever. Tuesday, June 15th, 8.30 p.m. Daniel, thanks. How do I get there again? I can come now or tomorrow afternoon to grab it. Wednesday, June 16th, 2.06 p.m. So after that, like, she doesn't hear from her for a whole 24 hours, basically. Caitlin, hi, I saw you on the camera. I'm in Flagstaff and will be home later tonight. If you want, I can put it out by the front by the chairs before I head out for work tomorrow morning, question mark. Wednesday, June 16th, 312 p.m. Daniel, red heart. Just like a heart emoji. Wednesday, June 16th, 1013 p.m. So Caitlin does not respond to that at all. Daniel, I'm sorry. No response again. Thursday, June 17th, 6:39 p.m. Caitlin, please stop showing up unannounced. Daniel, okay, I won't ever again. Caitlin, thanks. I'm looking right now and I don't see the canopy in the garage. Daniel. Don't worry about it. I already have it. Caitlin, I'm confused. Daniel, I did grab it yesterday. I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry for disappearing the other day. At the end of the sentence in this message, Daniel sends like a little sad face. Daniel, I couldn't stop thinking about you. S- uh, Saturday, 1244 p.m. So this is that Saturday. Daniel, can we hang out? Saturday, 1:48 p.m. Caitlin, I'm not home. Daniel, okay. Sunday, 12.14 a.m. Daniel, I love you. What? Yeah, that's where I, what? Sunday, 8.28 a.m. Daniel, are you home today? Sunday, 9.36 a.m. Caitlin, honestly, you showing up at my house unannounced made me extremely uncomfortable. I will not be home today, but I don't see us hanging out anytime soon. Daniel, okay, but do you have any doubt? Either way, I'll have to be okay with your answer. Monday, 11.44 a.m. Daniel, how are you feeling? Monday, 3.46 p.m. Daniel, I'm outside of your place. Oh, yep. Caitlin, lots of question marks. Please stop doing that. I'm not even home. This is not okay. Daniel, I guess it's not. Caitlin, no, you guess. I've told you it is not okay and not to come to my home unannounced. So at this point, she's very, very clear. Daniel, are you okay with me? Caitlin, no. Caitlin, This isn't normal nor acceptable. Daniel, what is normal? Caitlin, making plans before showing up at someone's home, and if someone has expressed that you've made them uncomfortable, you need to back off. Daniel, do you hate me? Caitlin, I don't hate you, but please leave me alone. Monday, 8.46 p.m. Daniel, you're right. Just out of nowhere. Tuesday, 3.07 p.m. Daniel, the world can get better but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or I'll never see you again. And that is the last text he had ever in the world. So strange. And that's not rational thoughts. Those are no. not like a person who is composing themselves, a, a brilliant scientific mind. No, that's really confusing. What podcast did she share? I know I was dying to figure <laughs> it out and I can't find it did anywhere. The podcast mess him up? Well, there are some thoughts that that he latched on to this like spiritual, because he, we when we get to um, an interview with his friend Roger, Roger will tell us all about how he was like suddenly a different person who was all about like you bring in what you need to bring it like like preaching these values. Yeah. Well,
1: because even the way he says some
0: things, they're phrased very strangely. Yeah, and. Caitlin would not have like had a whole evening with him, and then responded to his text so casually if he was really weird that whole night. Yes, which and she doesn't say that. She said that they were normal that night, right? So something had to have changed. So after they speak to Caitlin, police go to Daniel's home. This is six twenty four, which is weird. Why didn't they go to his house immediately after he was missing? He goes missing on the 23rd and it takes him 24 hours to go check his apartment. That's like one of the first places you're supposed to go. Yeah, that's strange. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So again, this is these these are the kind of little things that makes his family go like, what are you doing? Why, why were you not there? So they go to Daniel's house, but they don't go in. They see that his car is not there. There is no sign of him. They could see in the windows and they said through the windows they could see 80% of his house, which like, you need curtains, bud. of his house they could see. And they were like, well, he wasn't in there because we could see through the windows. So then we just left. Huh? Um, that is the worst wellness check I've ever heard of. That's interesting. I mean, are they allowed to go in? That's what I was wondering because we have done a lot of other cases where, like Joel and Lisa Guy, for example, where they're like, we can't find Lisa. It's been, you know, 10 hours and they go right in her house. Yeah, that's true. Catherine Knight, too. They went right in her house. Yeah. So if there is cause for alarm and he lives by himself and he's missing. Right. What is the chain of events to get into that house and why does it take so long? I don't know all of Arizona's laws, but that also seemed weird to me. Why wouldn't you immediately go in there? or, Like get in there. Also, like somebody had to have a key. Yeah. I mean Sometimes well, I they don't know. just ask the super the super and they give it to him. Like yeah. So, well, you did run into something like this in, like, say, the, the Candyman murders, the medicine, medicine cabinet murder, where they were like, well, we asked the super, and the super was like, I can't give that to you, and it took three days to get in there. That's true. So yeah. I guess it's different everywhere. So then the cops get a call from Davisha, and she tells them that she remembered that Daniel's friend, Marcus, who is a DJ, he's super cool, I saw his Instagram, And his other friend, Luke, had recently flown to Arizona to see him. So then the cops find his friend, Luke. Did I find Luke's full name? Yes, I found Luke's full name. He is adorable and didn't do anything wrong, so you don't need his full name. He flew from where he lived in New York to see Daniel, and, like, nothing weird happened. He stayed with Daniel in his house. Everything was fine. Daniel did mention once at a bar when they were out watching a basketball game and having beers, that's what he did, that he was glad Luke had come to visit him because he'd been a little depressed. Okay. Which is the buzzword the police were looking for, but still. Mm -hmm. The next day, which is the 25th, helicopters are sent out. But only after, Daniel's aunt calls the Buckeye police and says she's very concerned and they need to be, like, doing more. And she wants to talk to a supervisor. Two days later, they sent helicopters out? This is the desert. You didn't immediately send air stuff out? Especially after Ken's like... Yeah, Ken, like he drove off into the desert. For comparison, when Mark Heimbaugh went missing, which is the other case I am researching right now, Coast Guard helicopters were sent out to look four hours later. Like that night, they circled the whole night. This yeah. is a person who went missing in the desert in July, in, sorry, in June heat. Why did they wait? Yeah. Isn't that weird? It's very weird. I thought it was weird too. Okay, so finally the helicopters go out. Now on the 26th, the police report says that Daniel's still missing, whereabouts unknown, and that this particular officer, Haley, is done. Uh-huh. All right, so they turn it over to a man named Detective L. Biffin. At least I think it's a man. Maybe it's a lady. He says that he talks to Ken. Ken believes that he turned down a dirt road that led further into the desert, not even a road that would take you out back to the road. He was like, this was just further in. He wasn't trying to get out. I guess this is from his other interviews in which he surmises these things. Ken also says that, like I said, Daniel was wearing his safety vest when he arrived and when he left. He said it rained, which he told everybody else. Then the detective calls David. And by this time, he's like, so we're looking into other things. David's like, I don't care. I'm coming to Arizona now. Then you can talk to me in person. My son's missing. You're not doing anything. You haven't found him. I'm coming. I'm going to fucking find him. Yeah. So like, way to go, dad. His dad is a warrior. This guy is like doing it. He recalls, um, he also says like, no, he never did this before. Does He talks about the sister thing in California again. The detective advises David also that he should call a lawyer. Now, this strikes me as weird, too, to try to get power of attorney so that he can access David's phone and bank records. But why can't the police get those? Why does his father have to go get power of attorney and request them himself? They don't do that in legal cases. Police just get them. Think about, like, Delphi. They were immediately trying to get those girls' cell phone records. Yeah, this... Okay, this is weird. I know, And he's been missing for days at this point. I know that there's an issue with the phones where you need, like, the owner to go into, like, pings and stuff like that. But, like, when someone's been missing for that long, you usually can get them. And we've experienced other cases where they have. And the bank records are the same thing. I feel like the police could also override that kind of thing with search warrants. That's what they're there for. Mm -hmm.
1: I just wonder if there's a difference, too, though, between a child and adult.
0: I don't know. I'm sure there is. But also, like, it should have been easier to get the child's things. Their parents were right there, I guess. Well, that's what I mean. And oh, Adelphi. yeah, you're right. Yeah. But, like, this guy was missing for three days. You can't see if he used his bank card. That could trace exactly where he was. Right. And people do that. They I do know. say, okay, I saw charges here, here, and here. They did it to Brian Laundry. I know. Yeah. But then, oh, look, the detective then reports that he got Daniel's phone records because, of course, he can do that. Mm-hmm. we were right and all he got were attempted pings and unanswered incoming calls that kind of ended around the 624 time the day June 24th when the phone like eventually died obviously so then he gets a search warrant like I said and asks for the records from T-Mobile so this is just from the actual no not they don't have the phone I don't know where those records are from maybe the towers or something yeah So they put in the request for T-Mobile and then he talks to Daniel's friend and this guy's name is Antonio. He says that he talked to Daniel on the phone for 17 minutes on June 16th and said that um, he found like that Daniel was more hyper and was talking faster and more enthusiastic than usual. Hmm. And he talked about two girls he met while delivering alcohol. He said he hooked up with one of the girls. Antonio said that David is very social and gullible and he didn't have a lot of friends in Arizona yet. So this might have been something that he was, like, really, really excited about. But still, that talking faster and more manic and hyper, we saw that with Elisa Lamb in a manic episode. Yeah. Then on the 27th again, after they talked to Antonio, they talked to Luke. Luke says he visited—they talked to Luke again. He said that he visited Daniel because he was considering moving to Phoenix. Luke is also a geologist, so a lot of geology to be had in Arizona, apparently. And that there was nothing else weird. He could, poor Luke. Luke is just like the normalist of the normals. And he was like, nothing was weird. Please leave me alone. Oh. But he has posted and been like very vocal about trying to find Daniel. So mm-hmm. nothing weird there. Then they talked to Daniel's friend Ruben. So obviously he has friends. None of them live in Arizona. Ruben said he talked to Daniel on the 22nd. So that's a day before he disappeared. For five minutes. He just called Daniel to ask him about where he could go on vacation in California and Arizona. He said Daniel was acting down and sad. But he said that Daniel also did like to hike and would occasionally wander off and explore, but he always stayed in contact. That was just like an off-the-cuff thing. He's like, yeah, sometimes he went off on like adventures, but he always told us where he was going. He always stayed in contact with somebody. Then they get the T-Mobile data because of course they could get it. His last text was sent on at 8.10 on 6.23, and it was to Ken. Then they noted the text on the 22nd to Caitlin. The text that said the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever, to name it. I'll either see you again or s- never see you again. What were the differences in times for that again? This says 1507. So it's the night before. This says the last text was to Ken, but this is the only place that's reported. Everything else says his last text was the one to Caitlin, but they recover in a trash folder too. Like he deleted it. Oh, okay. I guess maybe he texted... Ken, like, I'm at work or something. I have no idea. Mm. So then that's some of the stuff they found from the phone. They decide they're going to go talk to his apartment manager and try to get in his apartment. And this is on July 6th. He went missing on June 23rd. They have waited till July 6th to get into his apartment. Daniel's employer um, had paid his rent check for the month too. She was like, well, his rent's paid for July because his boss paid it, which I thought was really nice Mm -hmm. because he was like, God, this guy's missing. I don't know what's happening. We don't want him to, if he he comes home, I want him to have a home to go to. Right. Oh, wow. Isn't that nice? I thought that was really nice. Some people take this to be that his company, um, like he found out something he shouldn't find out. And so his company got rid of him and they were covering it up. But I think he worked for a nice guy that paid his rent. You can't tell. Crazy geology world, apparently. I don't know. So apartment manager Tiffany says the police can enter for an actual welfare check. Should never have taken that long. So they go in, and they notice all the common areas are clean and, you know, organized enough. All of his valuables are there. There's no sign that he was, like, met with a struggle or was robbed. There's no sign of him packing for a trip. His bedroom, though, is, like, super messy which is not, again, uncommon for, like, a young dude who lives alone. Right. Um, And they found blunts all over the place. Okay. I love that there is the word blunt in a police report, and they don't explain it.
1: Right. Why would they need to?
0: (laughs) Because they're cops, and usually something like that they explain. Oh, okay. But they're like, there was a lot of blunts all over the place.
1: Well, because it's, like, probably illegal at this point.
0: I don't know. (laughs)
1: It just is what it is.
0: After that, they go on a bunch more searches. They um, send drones out to look over the desert. They send the helicopters out. They send a bunch of people on the ground. They send out utility task vehicles, which are not ATVs. They're UTVs, which to me sounded just like a worse UTI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So that's why I had to look it up. They look like a Jeep and a golf cart had a baby. Okay. Yeah. So they oh, send yeah. all yeah. those things out to look. They find nothing. Great. Then they eventually get his bank information from his brother. I don't know why his brother was the one that could access it, but that's who got it. Um, They find out that his last purchase was on the 23rd, the day he disappeared at a Shell station. Then a person on Facebook on the 16th, so we go forward in time to the 16th, someone posted on Facebook that they saw a Jeep that looked like Daniel's parked near Jackrabbit and Elliott Road, and the cops are like, oh, and they go and explore it. They try and find everything, but it was a false alarm. They found someone's post on Facebook that was forwarded to them. Okay. Then, on July 19th, they find Daniel's Jeep. At 8.54 in the morning, a local, quote, rancher and landowner, which is so old-timey. Yeah. This is a guy that owns, like, a cattle ranch. He called the Buckeye police to say that he found a Jeep renegade that matched the description of Daniel's and he gave them the license plate and remarked that it had wrecked. It was, like, clearly been in a crash and it was empty. There was nobody in it. So the police immediately send a beat officer to meet with this rancher guy. His name is Mark. And Detective, this guy that we have been talking about the whole time and Sergeant Hanneman arranged for off-highway vehicles and a mobile command trailer to be sent out. So then I have a full discovery of the Jeep. And to be clear, this is four miles from where he disappeared. And they just found the car. And the rancher found it. Right. And I'll post pictures I don't know why the helicopters couldn't see it. They were like, it's rough terrain. It was, you couldn't see it. It looks like it's a Jeep in the middle of a desert. Like, you can see it. I don't, I can't. It blows my mind that they didn't find it. Yeah. With Um. all those things and all those people they had searching, like, they didn't find this thing that a rancher just stumbled upon? All right. So anyway, this is the police report about the Jeep discovery. Quote, I then responded to the area and met with Mark's partner, Shannon and Mark. We went off to Sun Sun Valley Parkway, so same road between mile 113 and 114 on the west side of the road. We then took a dirt road to the power line road, which was marked with an orange flag and headed north. So these are those dirt roads in the middle of the desert. It looks as though he has gone on no actual roads. From there, we traveled to another intersection and turned west toward Corral, to the Corral area. Cattle Ranch, looking for the cows. Then he led me down another ro- dirt road to a mountain, and they used, they used ATVs or, or UT, whatever UTIs to get to the top. <laughs> then they saw the Jeep, and it was laying on the passenger side. The GPS coordinates were noted. The vehicle was facing northwest. The vehicle had significant damage and appeared to have had a front impact with the dirt and rolled before resting on the passenger side. One piece of the Jeep's black removable roof was on the ground partially wedged under the front of the Jeep. So the, sunroof, the like soft top type sunroof area looks like it's been kicked out. The driver's front window was shattered and I located glass on the ground consistent with the Jeep rolling one time. There was also substantial damage to the lower front end and damage to the top of the windshield and roof. All of the interior airbags appear to have been deployed. I observed a pair of jeans turned inside out, two brown work-type boots, a faded orange vest with the company logo, so the safety vest, a t-shirt, and two socks which were inside out. Actually, it's only one sock, but he says two here. I could see the outline of what appeared to be a wallet in the pocket of the jeans. I walked the same path to the vehicle, which Mark had walked and did not observe any persons inside the vehicle. The vehicle was relatively clean outside, but there had been three or more big rains in the area since Daniel went missing. There was evidence of rain damage on the inside of the Jeep and a hard hat inside filled with rainwater. I located Daniel's Samsung Galaxy S10 cell phone and the vehicle and apartment keys, and a backpack with Daniel's work laptop and other documents inside. There were also other miscellaneous items inside the car like clothing, a basketball, unopened water bottles. So in case we're thinking dehydration, he had plenty of water and other items. I did not observe any blood or other evidence of an injury despite the substantial damage to the vehicle. This was a huge car crash, no blood. I checked the area and did not observe any indication that Daniel spent a considerable amount of time at the vehicle. There were no empty water bottles or other items than Daniel's clothing in the area. There were no tracks immediately surrounding the vehicle that weren't made by the caller or by detectives. I checked the top of the hill to the east of the vehicle and located some tracks that ran to the east and appeared to have been rained on since they were left and were hard to see. After some further investigation detectives believe that Daniel's vehicle left the dirt roadway where it ended south of its job site near an open dirt area and proceeded up the hillside it appeared that he drove over several bushes before ending up in the ravine hmm. the vehicle was still in drive when it was found the area was photographed and processed by BPD's crime scene manager and those photos uploaded to evidence.com Daniel's cell phone was dead and I removed it and the keys along with his backpack from the vehicle. I then located his wallet with his IDs and multiple debit and credit cards inside the jeans. There was no cash in the wallet. Nobody carries cash, I'm not surprised. Detectives with BPD's major crime unit and general investigations arrived on scene along with Chief Hall, Assistant Chief Sanders and multiple patrol officers. Search and rescue vehicles came and trucks and other vehicles Chief Hall arranged for a radio channel to link the various agencies and helicopters, so everything is now like looking for actual Daniel. Officer Price also arrived with BPD's drone, so the guy that um, operates the drone, and took aerial photographs of everything. They brought cadaver-sniffing dogs, who then set up a four-quadrant search for Daniel. The dogs and their handlers searched for approximately five hours with no results. It should be noted that detectives and other searchers encountered one mountain lion in the area, but did not find any evidence that indicated Daniel had been attacked or encountered this animal. Prior to nightfall, Daniel's clothing was collected from the ground and his wallet, phone, and backpack with laptop were also collected and taken to the Buckeye Police Department for safekeeping. Then they towed the car and bring that into evidence and cover it with a tarp to protect it.
1: All of that sounds great, but like it should have been done like over a week ago. Yeah, and
0: also where the fuck is Daniel? His clothes were all there. Right. All the clothes he had on were on the ground next to the Jeep. They yeah. weren't even in the Jeep. They were on the ground.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that they didn't find any blood in the car. No blood at all.
0: Which is really weird considering it was a big car accident. And they're usually like not unbloody. Yeah. Then The next day, they notify Daniel's father. He wasn't updated
1: during the whole thing?
0: Nope. And they found his car at like eight something in the morning and ran his plates. It does not take that long to confirm that a license plate belongs to somebody. That was Daniel's license plate. They could have told him within 15 minutes that they found Daniel's Jeep. Yeah. But they waited 24 hours? I'm so confused. I know. And they don't explain why either. They just were like, and then we called him the next day. It's just like, I don't know
1: if something like, like, I don't know how important that is in the large, like, scheme of things. Yeah. But just in general, it does feel like they don't care as much. Doesn't it? That's just I, what that feels like. And that's like. what his
0: family says. And I have to say I agree when yeah. I hear things like that. Yeah. Um, and then at this point, police say to, his fa- to Daniel's family that we don't know where Daniel went. So it stands to reason that they do believe he walked away from this crash. Mm-hmm. Whether he walked away from it for long, I don't know. But they do believe that he got out of that car and left. Yeah. So then they get the crash data. So every car has a black box, like an airplane, where it can tell you all, all kinds of things. And because this is a 2017, it's a computer chip type car, right. can put a lot of stuff in. And this is what Officer Price gets. It's important that I make this distinction. It did not record the date and time of the crash, but the vehicle was going 30 miles per hour. And remember, this is through, like, dirt road, rough terrain, so that's fast for where they are. At the time of the crash, the airbags deploy. That's all the cops say. The end. But then, at this point, Daniel's father, David, has hired a private investigator whose name is Jeff McGrath. I'm just going to call him P.I. Jeff from here on out. And this guy specializes in the investigation of crashes. Like his thing is reassembling auto crashes and telling you what happened. So PI Jeff comes in. Um, once the Jeep is in like possession, he, the, um, Daniel's father gets it. Once the cops are done with it, they're like, we're done. And he's like, okay, we'll take it then. Mm-hmm. And here's what PI Jeff gets. It's so much more. The ignition cycle at the time of download was 6,850. So that's how many times the car had been started at that point in time. Driver's seatbelts were buckled at the time of the crash. The ignition cycle at the time of the crash was 6,805. And the officer hit the ignition once to download this. So he like jumped the car so we could get the stuff. But this means that the ignition was hit 44 other times after the crash.
1: Okay, like he tried tried to to start start the car 44 other
0: times after the impact. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, you're trying to get the car to start. (laughs) Absolutely, but that's someone who's cognizant of this crash and awake. Yeah. That's just also interesting. Odometer reading at the crash was 58,154 miles. The airbag light was not lit at the time of the crash, which means the airbags are working. At 626 that morning, the odometer read 58,055 miles. At 7.01, the odometer read 58,091 and 0.99 miles. And this is the distance from Daniel's house to the Shell station. It's 37 miles, takes that much time. This adds up. So he woke up early, drove to the Shell station. We got it.
1: 37
0: miles. I know. I was like, ew, really? That's how far you have to go? Then at 7.22, the odometer read 58,093.24 miles. This is 1.25 miles from the Shell station where... There was a work site where Daniel took pictures of some work logs, not like tree logs, like a log of work. Yes,
1: I I on, wasn't confused about that.
0: <laughs> I was for a minute because he's a geologist. Oh, I was like, what? Yeah, but what? he would be logging. I just things. had a moment. Forgive me. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> on Verado Way. <laughs> now there are pictures on his phone to back this up. He went. He took pictures of these not tree logs. Okay. Everything checks out. He was there. Then at 8.35, the odometer reads 58,112.50. The car had traveled 19.26 miles. According to Google, it was about 22.9 miles from this worksite to Daniel's other worksite on Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road. But maybe he had a shortcut or something. I don't know. At 9 o'clock, the odometer read 58,129.9 miles. So the car had traveled another 17.4 miles. At 9.06, the odometer still read the same thing. Then it skips ahead to 12.54, wherein the odometer reads 58,153.51. So nine, not at 9.06, that was when he was at work with Ken. Then no big, big gap. And then he travels 23.6 miles over four hours. So we don't know where he went or what he did at that point. We just know that's how long the car was running. Hmm. Daniel's phone was last connected to the Jeep's Bluetooth at 7.12 that morning, so he wasn't listening to any of his stuff on his phone when he was doing this either. So then the cell phone has the, this is what P.I. Jeff gets, has the pictures from the well site near Verado Road, text from Caitlin, text from Devisha the day before, where Daniel is telling her that he has an emergency, and then he doesn't respond to her repeated texts and calls. Oh. Yeah, she doesn't ever mention that. I don't know why that was goes unmentioned the whole time. But he says he had an emergency. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Then the, I think PI Jeff finds this, but the cops might have found it too. They find a charge on his bank account on the 24th, which is the day after. So they're like, oh shit, is he walking around? How is he using his card? We found his card. And it's from Waffle House. But here's the thing. is a charge from the 22nd that took a couple days to hit. Oh, yeah. That happens okay. sometimes. So then they go to confirm this. They see the security cameras at Waffle House, show Daniel get there by himself, sit down at a booth by himself, eat some food, pay, pack up his leftovers, and leave. They find the server who waited on him. She says that Daniel was like, wouldn't talk to her. She wouldn't engage in any conversation. So, like, at his sister's house where he's just like not speaking. Yeah. And that she, he seemed like off and skittish. She was like, he, this was like a person that was not well. And that she said she had seen him at that Waffle House before, but he had never acted like that. He'd always been like polite and fine. And this time he was like, not well. And then it's noted that at the Shell station, this charge that he made was for $3.83 worth of gas at like pump four. Um, I'm sorry, what? On June 21st, 2021 in Arizona, gas prices averaged at over $3 a gallon. At most places, it was over, it was closer to $3.50. Was he putting gas in his hands? Was he filling a small bucket? Why would you put like a gallon of gas in your car? I know, that's weird. And it wasn't because like he didn't have any money. It's just that's what he put in there. To me, that's very strange. So then PI Jeff on August 12th, so we jump a little ahead in time, notifies the police that the family would like to change the case to a criminal investigation rather than a missing person. Yeah. And while there's not a ton of criminal case proof, it would push the case forward a lot better. Yeah. What this will do is make it more of a priority and make them able to do more in the way of investigation than it would if it was just a missing person. So I totally understand doing this. But P.I. Jeff says that he has um, proof to make this a criminal case. This is where P.I. Jeff gets a little braggy. He said he found a sun-bleached sock that matched the one they found with the Jeep and all of the socks in Daniel's apartment on the road between his work site and where the Jeep was found. So that's evidence that there was a murder. I don't understand. Nobody does. That's not evidence that there was a murder. But PI Jeff has other things to say because of the way the Black Box reports it. It also says that after a crash, the car drove 11 miles before coming to its final resting place in the ravine Mm. because P.I. Jeff finds that out. And he says what he thinks is that the car had a crash with another car, something happened, and then they disposed of the car in the ravine along with Daniel's clothing and things, but did something to Daniel. Mm. That is what P.I. Jeff suspects. It was later revealed that there is the possibility that those 11 miles happened because the car was on its side and the wheels were still going. It was still on which could turn the odometer.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: There was another like weird possibility for that. But those 11 miles are totally unaccounted for. And it looks as though there were two crashes. This makes it look like there was an initial crash and then it came to its resting place, rolled over into the ravine. But again, we don't know if that's what happened or not. We can't see anything. PI Jeff also says that he found evidence of red paint on the bumper of the car, like an impact site. Nobody else cites that, and I I haven't seen pictures of it, so I can't really tell you much about it, but if there was, that's pretty interesting. He also said that, um, this is where P.I. Jeff kind of goes off the rails for me just a little bit. He said that there's no way a vehicle like the one Daniel was driving could reach 28 miles per hour or more for more than five seconds before the crash in that kind of terrain. And they're like, oh, really, why? And He was like, well, I took my Jeep out there and it couldn't do it. All right. I mean, he's an expert at this, though, so right. maybe he knows. He also said that he spoke to Daniel's friend, Roger, at one of the search parties. Because at this point, Daniel's father, David, is just organizing search parties. He's just mm-hmm. gathering his own people. He has made flyers. He's bringing people out. He has, like—and he has it organized. He has everybody connected. He has, like, zones marked out and stuff. He is fucking doing the thing. Okay. He's trying to find his son. He's still doing that. The last one was on April 2nd. Mm. So then PI Jeff says he spoke to Daniel's friend Roger and Roger said he had to tell Jeff something. But then Jeff reports that Roger had a quote, oh shit moment and grew pale. And then Roger avoided Jeff after that. So they asked DeVisha, like, do you know who this Roger guy is? And she was like, I think maybe he was a roommate of Daniel's or something. And the, de- the detective find his name in Daniel's phone. They're like, oh, there's a Roger in there. Let's figure out what this guy is. So then they find that the, Roger and Daniel were texting a lot in the few months before he disappeared. So there's tons of text exchange between the two of them. Roger was helping Daniel build a gaming computer, and they talked about basketball. And on the 21st of June, they had breakfast together. On the 23rd, Roger texted Daniel right after he went missing, saying he was worried and that if he needed anything or someone to talk to or just drive around with him, that he should call him. Then Roger texted Daniel again later in the evening, saying that he was at Daniel's apartment and was worried because no one had heard from him. Then Roger goes on to say that he met Daniel when he first moved to Phoenix. They worked together. Daniel was living in a hotel at the time, and Roger let him stay with him on his couch for a month with his girlfriend before finding his own place. That's Roger's girlfriend. We have no reports of any girlfriends on Daniel's front. Um, Roger and Daniel stayed friends after they lived together for a little while. They liked beers and basketball. Daniel worked in the field, however, and Roger worked in the office. So they worked at the same company, but Roger was like an office employee. So they would carpool to work together and stuff when they lived together. um, But they didn't see each other at work. Roger had Daniel and his sister, Davisha, to his house for Thanksgiving. He gave them both hand-me-down furniture to help them get started in their life, which makes me think it's weird that Davisha was like, "Um, I think maybe they lived together at some point. You were at his house for Thanksgiving. Why don't you remember this guy? Right. I mean... Again, she has done absolutely nothing wrong. I don't, I'm not suspicious of her. It's just like a weird thing. Like why, why wasn't this guy more of a presence? Roger also says that Daniel was building a gaming computer and he spent a ton of money on it. And then he says, Roger says he was out of state from June 16th to 20th. um, So he doesn't know about anything then. When he got back on the 21st of June, he saw Daniel at the office and Daniel had cut off all his hair, which is weird because he was trying to grow it out. And then he was acting very, Distant and weird to Roger. And so Roger was like, Hey, do you want to go to breakfast? And he was like, No. And then Roger said, Okay, but like, do you want to go to breakfast? And he said, Okay, fine. So they go to Chick fil A. And Roger says, Okay, Daniel, what do you want? And Daniel just said, Whatever you're having, which is weird because apparently he always, every time, wanted spicy nuggets, even for breakfast. I don't judge. Nuggets are good.
1: Well, then why did he ask him?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So Daniel, then Daniel, uh, Roger asked Daniel if like, Okay, maybe, is your problem with a girl? Did you have, like, a girl problem? And Daniel was like, yeah, there's a girl, but she doesn't know that I exist. And then things get really weird. Daniel continued to ask odd questions, which didn't make a lot of sense to him. Roger then received a call from his sister during their drive to talk about their father's status because Roger's father had just died. When the call was over, Daniel asked Roger if he believed in miracles. And then Daniel told him maybe he should start believing in miracles. Okay, Roger said that Daniel then mentioned something about God or religion. And Roger said he was taken back by Daniel's questioning because Daniel had never really expressed any religious views to him at all. Daniel asked Roger if he trusted him. And when Roger said yes, Daniel challenged him about whether he trusted him. But Roger said, yeah, I trust you because we're friends. Daniel then said, what if we weren't friends? Daniel then says something to Roger about getting rid of his ego because ego is bad. Roger told Daniel he saw him as confident but not egotistical. Roger is a good fucking friend. Daniel then said, well, I have to get rid of my story, which could be his Instagram because that's gone. Roger was confused by this since Daniel was proud of who he was and where he came from. The conversation ended, and when they went back to work, Roger said that when they were back at the office, he saw Daniel walk by him wearing his Miami heat hat, which Daniel loved. Daniel told him he should probably get rid of it and Roger told him that was silly and to keep it. A short time later, Daniel left the office carrying a box and did not say bye to Roger. When Roger comes into the office on the 22nd, Daniel is there again and Daniel asks Roger to go get breakfast. They left the office in Daniel's Jeep and he described the dirt and pools in there that had to be moved to the back. Roger said they drove around and Daniel acknowledged that there was a girl, but he didn't give up too much info. Daniel asked Roger, What if there was a girl you liked, but you couldn't have? Roger gave Daniel advice that if he wanted to ask a girl out for it, to go for it. Oh, bad advice to give someone who's been stalking someone. (laughs) Daniel then talked more about his ego and had similar questions to the day before. So he's like, I have to erase who I am completely. Mm. Which is weird given like he kind of did. Roger explained that Daniel didn't really give up what was bothering him. He said that it seemed like Daniel thought he had to completely change himself to be with whoever this girl was. So he's indicating that he has to wipe out his whole persona to be with Caitlin. Again, I could see why some people might be like, well, he faked his own death after saying something like that. Or like, well, he just walked away from his whole life. When they went back to the office, Daniel stayed for about 15 minutes and then left without talking to Roger at all. Roger transition. Then Roger talks about his dad for a little while. Roger said sometimes field guys will leave to run to the store or go to the bathroom, and sometimes the sites are remote, so it could be an hour or more for them to return. So like, if Daniel left, people wouldn't immediately be like, "Oh my God, call the media," because sometimes they just like would leave for a little bit.
1: And that makes sense. Just even the distance to get to the shell station, right. like, what that could be like forty minutes
0: away. Exactly because of this, Roger wasn't concerned initially, but a little after lunch, he was talking to his boss who explained that Daniel went to the first job site and then the second site and hasn't been seen since he left there. Roger asked if anyone called Daniel and then offered to go to his apartment. So again, very good friend. Roger said he went to Daniel's apartment and saw his car wasn't there and the door was locked. Roger said he then told the boss that he knew where Davisha lived and he may be over there. Then Roger went to Davisha's house. Daniel was not there. Davisha's boyfriend, Renee, was there, and it seemed like Daniel had the same odd conversations with the two of them previously. So he's talking about the same thing, like, I gotta get rid of my ego and all that stuff. Roger told the boss to get a hold of Daniel's emergency contact because Davisha didn't know where he was either. Why has no one else done this? Roger left sometime later and checked Daniel's apartment again with no change. Roger said he also checked Daniel's apartment on the morning of the 24th and saw no change Again. Then the officer talked about Daniel's apartment with Roger, um, and Roger said that everything, like the way he described it, was normal. Now, Roger, this helpful man that did all of these things, is the guy P.I. Jeff is trying to say had something to do with his disappearance. This is, again, why I don't love P.I. Jeff, because I think Roger is lovely, and I don't think he had anything to do with it. Right. But I also don't fault Daniel's parents whatsoever. For trusting this man in any way, because this is an expert in vehicular crashes that they hired to take to find their son. So of course, you're gonna be like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm gonna trust every word out of his mouth. And I don't think he has any malicious intent. I just think he might be attaching himself to a theory that doesn't seem to pan out.
1: But everything that Roger has said that he did is all like corroborated, right? Yeah. Corroborated. corroborated.
0: Yeah. I know that word I is t- I try it every week. I know. It's really hard. <laughs> no, yeah. Roger's clean. He did all okay. of those things. Okay. Um, then we have a few details from the crash from that Officer Price, the guy with the drone. He just reports that the driver's seatbelt was buckled at the time of the crash. Great. The vehicle was not configured at the time of the event to detect front passengers, but did indicate that the front passenger seatbelt was not buckled. So like someone had gotten out of the car. When they crashed, it was buckled. But then when they got to it, unbuckled and slack. So it's not like the belt didn't like rebound back. It was like clearly been extended all the way out Mm -hmm. and then just fell slack. The data shows that for five seconds pre-crash, the throttle fluctuated from the maximum at 78% to as low as 22%. So that indicates that he kind of like gunned it, you know. It shows that the brakes were never applied. And the last documented speed at 0.1 seconds pre-crash was 30 miles an hour. So he was going fast into whatever he hit. So that is all the information they have for a good long while, except for a few other weird little things. One, on July 31st, 2021, Detective Jay Champion discovers a human skull located near where Daniel's vehicle was recovered. Based on the weathering of the skull, it appears that the skull has been exposed to the sun and elements much longer than the time Daniel was reported missing. The Maricopa County Medical Examiner's Office took possession of the skull and will attempt to make an identification. Daniel's information and report number were provided to the medical examiner along with other missing persons information and report number. Um, Apparently, they suspect it was another person who went missing in 2010. They found out later that it was not Daniel. But we don't know who it is. No, but we don't know who this skull belongs to. They think it's someone who went missing in 2010. Then on November 6th, which is many months later, obviously, they find two femur bones, a vertebrae, and sides of a pelvis while searching for Daniel. The bones were sent to medical examiners for identification. According to Daniel's father, David, they could belong to as many as six other people.
1: Oh. What the fuck, Arizona? It's just the desert, Holly. That's where bones go. I. That's where they go to thrive. <laughs> just
0: out there being bones.
1: They're just being bones. bleaching out, looking what good. What do you think you're going to find in the desert? Not a lot of people bones. Bones?
0: Yeah, like animals you're going to find. What, why are people perishing at such a rate? I don't know. I don't know either. That's what I would expect to <laughs> find. I mean, you would be right though. <laughs> And these bones were found by a member of one of the uh, the second round of bones were found mm-hmm. by a member of one of the search parties that David Robinson had organized. So They weren't even found, but police were done at this point. They were like, um, um, that's all we can do by, yeah, they stopped, I want to say, like, the end of July-ish, Yeah. July-August area, and they were like, well, he's missing, so yeah. that's it. That's why, I mean, that's
1: why it's important that these are community efforts, right? Because it does, it takes a lot. It takes a lot on, I mean, I don't know what their department is like. I don't know how many people that they have to Mm -mm. do this. I don't know what other cases they have going on, but that's why it's important that when there is a missing person, that the information is out there and people have the access and the like the voice to be heard to get the information out there so that the community can help. I agree. Because sometimes it just, the police can't do it, or they don't do it. And so we have to step up.
0: And Daniel's father, as I said, has really done the damn thing. He has a website that is Mm pleasehelpfinddaniel.com, which provides all of the information on Daniel's case. It has a link where you can (coughs) donate to um, the Robinson's Family's GoFundMe which helps in the search just to find Daniel. There is a link to sign the petition that would have Daniel's case moved from a missing persons to a criminal investigation. You just shared that, right? On mm-hmm. Facebook. I shared that on Facebook. I will share it again on our other social medias. I can't post links on Instagram yet, but if like 300 more of you like our Instagram, I'll be able to. So help us. Nice. Help us help you. Um. But Yeah. Um, so sign that position if you have time, because if it it does become a criminal case, they really have to give it more attention. They have to actively investigate the case more. There's also all the, like, I think they're deleted, the deleted pictures from his Instagram. There's a ton of pictures. There are, um, interviews with David Robinson, um, some are on YouTube, some are from, um, CNN, from Dateline, from, I mean, everything in the world that he could get his hands on to do, he really, truly did. All the news articles, there's a brief synopsis of the case. Daniel's father also said that Daniel has an innate passion for adventure and is known to travel in opportune moments. However, he has always communicated with his family on travel plans. So he was talking about how he's, like, adventurous and fun, but, like, this is totally out of character. And this says that he was said to have last been seen by a worker from another company who worked with him at a well. So I don't know who that was, because I think Ken worked with his same company. And that he made plans to be with family before he went missing and looked forward to that in July. So he had future things planned out. Mm -hmm. But they are still handing out flyers. They are still organizing search parties. They are still actively chatting with the public, engaging, trying to get his story out there. They're really, really working hard. So I encourage everyone to go to this website and to see what you can see and do as much as you can do. And lastly, we'll just talk about the theories a little bit. This is just going to be kind of a conversation. The police at one point said to David Robinson, this is kind of upsetting, that um, they were like, you know, maybe he just walked out into the desert like a monk and that he undressed himself and walked off naked into the desert to join a monastery i'm so confused why would they say this is, the, is this the thing a lot of people are like oh it was sarcasm because they're saying he like kind of like lost his mind and walked away but
1: why on earth would you say that to, to his, his father?
0: father i don't fucking know it's terrible. And David Robinson responded to the media by saying, quote, my son would not have undressed himself despite what Buckeye has put out, that my son was somehow depressed and decided to get away from his family. So what his father thinks the police are indicating is that he was like depressed and went and just like went off the rails. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the
1: police believe that he had a mental break and went off. That's
0: different from this, though. You know what I mean? It's yeah, they're. Being so assholes. there are a few I don't theories. Know why they said that I agree. One of them is Pi Jeffs that like he stayed up all night on his new gaming computer after a breakup or a weird incident. Not a breakup, just whatever weirdness mm-hmm. happened with Caitlyn. He was really sad. He stayed up. He went to work the next day. He drove off into the desert because he was a little tired and disoriented, and then met up with some ne'er-do-wells who took all his clothes off and threw his car into a ditch. 'er Ne'er-do-wells? It's a phrase that I didn't make up but use. But like, hooligans, meth heads in the desert. I've
1: never heard that.
0: No? Go ahead, spread it around. It's your word of the day. It is a word.
1: I believe you. But
0: (laughs) And there's a whole section of Reddit that loves to talk about the wandering roves of desert meth heads. I don't know what they're talking about. I've not seen any other reference to them, but Reddit loves them.
1: I mean, we have Arizona listeners, so like... Tell us, us
0: if you think there are desert meth heads wandering around in hordes. Yeah. Maybe there are. I don't know. Maybe there's like Mad Max shit going on out there. I don't know. That's where the bones come from. That is. Water them in the desert ground and they grow humans. They do. Terrible. It's an yeah. awful thought. That's how we began. That's our yeah. origin story. It's a circle of life. Yes. Um, so then there's also, I guess, one theory that this was like a self-destructive thing and he was so distraught after whatever happened with Caitlin that he was trying to end his own life by Mm. crashing his car, which is what a way to go and what a long way to get there. So I feel like that's not it either. And then the prevailing theory is that in the months prior to this and during the incident, Daniel was suffering with some sort of break with reality, like a psychotic break And the word psychotic in this instance is used for a segment of mental disorders and not like, that person's a psychopath. That's not it at all. Or uh, like a a manic episode, which would be pretty much exactly like what happened to Elisa Lamb, where she just ended up very confused and manic and did something that ended up killing her. Mm -hmm. And we saw exactly that happen before. And in this case, there are indicators that he had been acting very strangely. He had been talking in roundabout weird, confused ways and um And he said an age I mean if that's if that's the it, case he that's said the other thing, age yes. that
1: that kind of thing might be if coming. He
0: had been developing something like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, especially schizophrenia, that's like right the time when symptoms would hit. And I've watched someone descend into schizophrenia before. I've yeah. watched it happen. And it's very similar to that. I too have watched I wonder that if it happen. was the same person. We'll talk about it afterwards. But, like, it was slow with her until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then she was, like, scared and violent and had no grasp on reality and did things that were very injurious to herself. Mm -hmm. But there are, like, little indicators that slowly start to add up. So um, we're going to just read our signs of a warning, signs of a psychotic break or a psychotic episode. This is from the Exodus Center in Los Angeles. They say that psychosis isn't a condition unto itself. It is a symptom of an underlying health problem. While it's mostly commonly a feature of mental illnesses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or major depression, psychosis can also be triggered by trauma, substance abuse, brain disease or injury, so like a head injury, and even extreme sleep deprivation, which is what they're indicating by the gaming. They're saying he gamed so much that he lost reality. I've been up for nights at a time. That's never happened. But then again, maybe that's just me. Although psychosis is a highly individual experience, a typical psychotic episode progresses through three distinct stages, the prodromal phase, the acute phase, and the recovery. We discussed the prodromal phase at length. Good job. And during this time, a person may find it difficult to focus or understand what other people are saying, or they may have trouble keeping track of their own thoughts. So this is someone who is confused and says weird stuff, which we saw. As a result, they may also feel irritable, disconnected, overloaded, or suspicious, which is totally understandable if things are suddenly very confusing and you don't know why. And then signs of acute psychosis. Once the prodromal phase of psychosis gives way to acute, you might recognize a psychotic episode with these things. This is when they get hallucinations, delusions emerge, and become obvious. The common warning signs include... Any kind of hallucinations, so like visual or auditory, or imagined touch sensations or smell, anything. Delusions, a delusion is an unshakable belief that it's unlikely to be true and seems irrational to others. Things like, I have to destroy my whole ego. A person who suffers from delusions may believe that external forces control their thoughts and behaviors, or that a person or institution is out to get them. Delusions of grandeur can make a person feel all-powerful or even godlike. I know a lot of people who have these breaks also attach hard to religion. They have confused speech. Acute psychosis can cause disturbed thought patterns that make it hard to stay focused, which we've seen here too. This can take the form of rapid fire or continuous speech, disrupted speech that switches from one topic to the next mid-sentence, or frequent speech pauses from a lost train of thought. It also has mood changes. Um, So you might see dramatic mood swings, improper behavior. So socially inappropriate behavior is another hallmark of acute psychosis. This may take the form of childish or regressive behavior, inappropriate affection, or excessive dependency. This aspect of psychosis can be especially distressing for caregivers, family, or friends. We also could possibly see this with the incident with Caitlin, where he just like loved her out of nowhere. Severe anxiety, losing touch with reality during a psychotic episode can be scary and confusing, making somebody very, very nervous. Social withdrawal, they can be very isolated. And if you see these things, of course, this encourages you to get treatment for the person in question. I see a lot of those warning signs, I'm not going to lie. In my opinion, I'm not a professional, but yeah. reading it, it these Manic episodes are similar. That's when people are abnormally upbeat, jumpy, or wired. We have several comments that say Daniel was all of those things. Uh, There's increased activity, energy, or agitation, exaggerated sense of well-being and self-confidence, decreased need for sleep, unusual talkativeness, racing thoughts, and distractibility. Those are also things that we saw happen. So while I can't make any, I I mean, I can't say anything for sure. Mm -hmm. A lot of those do seem to add up. though. To be fair, this is a statement from Daniel's father about these very things. He said, quote, Neither my family or the Buckeye Police Department are mental health health professionals to be able to diagnose mental health conditions. However, Daniel never expressly communicated to the family that he was going through anything. had Had he done so, we would have sprung into action. We have a close family structure and promote healthy lines of communication within. We fervently believe if Daniel were indeed in crisis, our family would have been the first to know. Were there behaviors that weren't typical leading up to his disappearance? Yes. However, as stated, neither my family or the Buckeye Police Department are professionals or are adept enough to make that judgment. Furthermore, if we are alluding to the fact that someone in a mental health crisis does not deserve the same amount of care and concern as anyone else, we truly have a bigger problem at hand. Daniel's mental health does not abate the Buckeye Police Department's inactivity in this investigation.
1: Yeah, no, I agree And with I think that that's statement. really, really well put.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: No, I don't blame his family at all, if he did have... I don't either. ...something. I don't blame them for not seeing it. Um, It all kind of seemed like it happened kind of fast. And none of them lived right
0: there. Even his sister lived in Phoenix, which was not, like, close. exactly.
1: But also, it was any weird situations that she had. It was just, it was few and far between. Mm -hmm. And it was all very recent. Yeah. And so I think if it had kept up, like, if he had gone to her house again and not said anything, I think she'd be like, uh and it doesn't seem like she does talk to the dad at they seem all kind of separated. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. But um I mean that could also be why she like maybe she's not as open. Maybe doesn't yeah. have as much of a communication for um, sure. But there's there's so many things. Either way, the it is really upsetting to see how the police handled that situation.
0: It's very frustrating. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like they treated it with nearly enough urgency. Yeah. Really? When this was like someone who clearly walked away from that crash site. So there was a chance at some point in time that they could have found him alive even if they can't now. I mean, but maybe they can. I don't know. I know. Truly we don't know.
1: Or at least maybe been able to find
0: a body. Yeah. Well, that's what his family wants at this point. They just want to know and have closure. But also like He did say he wanted to erase his whole ego and evidence of everything that he was. So Right, but to me that sounds more like Instagram. It it does. That sounds like he wanted to
1: erase the vanity, which is Instagram.
0: Go with me for a minute. How wild would it be if we found out like months from now that he was still alive and just walked away to be somebody else? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, it would he would still wild. be alive, but it would, it would be wild. Be, I mean, it wouldn't be the first I'm time. I am not trying to give people hope or trying to like no. to falsely put any I- right. ideas, but like that thought did enter my mind when I read that part of it. I was like, "This also yeah. sounds like someone who's trying to change himself for a girl, not to, And I know his father does staunchly. Oppose him leaving his family, and I—I'm sure he's correct. Yeah, nobody knows him better than his father. But like, it was just something I wondered on. I was like, well, what if this was part of it, and part of the whatever mental health issue was going on? Said like, leave everything. Yeah, I'm just playing devil's advocate right now.
1: No, I know, I know. I I don't think I don't, I don't think that yeah. either.
0: I I really truly think that this was some sort of yeah. I don't really really get that vibe though. I'm interested.
1: I mean, it seems like a lot of things changed after listening to this podcast that he listened to. I wish I knew what it was. I want. I hope it's not the
0: love has won. Jesus I Christ. I hope it's not either. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I know that was really dense and a lot of information. Thank you all for hanging in with us. But because this case is still so active. Yes. It felt important to include all of it. I'm sorry if I repeated myself. I read like 16 different accounts of the same information. Mm-hmm. No, that was, uh, that was really interesting.
1: And I think, okay, so going back to the beginning when yeah. I mentioned how like Gabby Petito's case was covered. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is a great example of there was a ton of information that people could latch on to yeah. and keep going with, but we didn't get that information no. for like a week later. Whereas other cases, we get that information in like an hour, two hours, exactly. three hours. Exactly. And I mean, we've read a couple other missing person cases where they have been other white girls and we get that information an hour after it's decided, you know, figured out the parents are constantly involved. You know they're on text chains with police officers and. The and for and for his
0: credit, like Daniel's father David has been to- so active. Well, that's everywhere. what I mean. But he's
1: had to be active because. Well, yeah, nobody, nobody else is, is
0: taking the ball and rolling with it. There or, isn't a hundred TikTokers not, and people doing this stuff. Well, that,
1: but that he's not being like he wasn't being informed like up. Uh, yeah, twenty four
0: hours after they found his car, that is
1: wild. Yeah. So he just, he knew he had to take it into his own hands. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, it seems like he, he's doing the thing. Yeah. And it'd be great if we could get him and his family some answers. And to
0: his credit, P.I. Jeff is, is working hard to try and figure stuff out too. Yeah. He really Mm -hmm. is using all of his expertise, which he does have a lot of, to try and figure out what happened during this car crash. P.I. Jeff has his own podcast. He has a YouTube channel. Okay. Um, I will link his um company in case you guys want to check him out. It's called Three Laws Recon. Jeff is a retired cop turned private investigator. That's what they all are. And he's on all the socials. So if you want to see PI Jeff, you can. Yeah. So that is Daniel Robinson. Oof. Thank you for hanging in there with us. Yeah. Toast? Thank you, Holly. <laughs> yes, toast. So obviously to Daniel and David and... Um, the whole Robinson family. Yeah. What's it, what was his sister's name? Davisha? Davisha. Yeah, that was pretty. It is pretty. And to the hundreds of people who have come out and forced in Arizona to search for Daniel, lots of people have responded to David's search parties and come out and, and help lots and lots and have handed out flyers and people do want to help. You yeah. just have to get them the information. So to everyone who's helped. Uh, do we have anyone else? A toast,
1: we do! Hooray! We have two new patrons this week. Oh boy! Uh, first, we have Kara Lamborn. Yay! Thank you, Kara. She is a best fiend and my best friend. Oh, so double toast! <laughs> and we also have a um a repeat. It uh it had been a while. She came back to us. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think she had like a little life change. I'm not sure, but Way she came back. Um, Megan Spivy. Oh, thank yes. you, Megan. Thank you, Welcome girl. back. Wel- welcome back. Welcome she back is- to Fiendome. She's the best fiend
0: forever. Forever and ever. Yes. We always appreciate it. We do always <laughs> appreciate it. You're always welcomed home. <laughs> That's right. Welcome home to Fiendland. And if we found meth heads in the desert. I think that's the best theory, that it's a roving horde of meth heads in the desert. What if that one was real? That's terrifying. Just like some, like, Silent Hill-type bullshit sneaking up on you. I know. Or just like, I mean,
1: those poor meth heads They're in like the, the desert people that are the like, stairs. it wasn't
0: us. <laughs> we didn't do
1: nothing. We didn't do nothing, man. You gotta leave us alone. With our bones. <laughs> We're
0: out here with all these bones. <laughs> they don't belong to you. Yeah. <laughs> we just have our bones and our mountain line. We only have one mountain lion and y'all looked at him. <sighs> Give me my meth. <laughs> I don't know why I made them as
1: intelligent as that. <laughs> no, I like it though. Just angry. It's just
0: using bone spoons. Family-oriented methods. Meth. <laughs> yeah. We make our own. It is sustainable. <laughs> we kill nobody. We are not hurting anyone. No. You find someone else. Yeah. Don't you come at us. Don't you come at the meth heads. It's not them. You yeah. look at those well people. <laughs> oh, well, or the mine people. He was taking mm-hmm. some wells. He was taking wells. It was the grudge. Uh, oh, yeah. So I'm not really super comfortable saying we would be dead in this instance because we don't know for sure that Daniel is dead. So why don't we use another instance where we actually would be dead? Do you have one? I do. Give me it. And if we were bit by a rattlesnake (gasps) in the
1: Arizona desert,
0: we We would would be be dead.
1: dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at wouldbedeadpod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more.
0: Unless we were meth heads and then that is our rattlesnake and you leave him alone. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh my god. All right, now I'm just monologues about meth heads in the Arizona Desert. Come